Welcome to episode 256 of Speaking of Mysteries. I'm Nancy Clare, and returning for her hat trick appearance on the podcast is the Queen of Crime, Val McDermott, to talk about Past Line, her new crime fiction novel featuring Karen Peary. Welcome back to the podcast, Your Majesty. It's lovely to be here, I have to say. It's always good to talk to people. I feel incredibly lucky that I've had the opportunity to talk to you so many times, I think four or five by my count. And I listened to our previous episodes and both centered around books featuring, featuring Karen. And I say featured because when we spoke nine years ago about The Skeleton Road, you still weren't sure Karen was a series. So yeah. now you're not only seven books into her, uh, she's also a TV show. So she's here for the duration, right? I think it's fair to say she's a series now, definitely. Yeah. And there will be more, I expect. Ah, well, you anticipated one of my questions, so I can cross that one off. I last spoke to you in 2018, and of course, none of us knew what the next two years was going to bring. Um, and you concluded Still Life, which was the the novel, the Karen novel that preceded uh, Past Lime, Uh in 2020 and in that and of course it was written probably in 2018 and 2019 with mm. the uh, you concluded it with the intimations of the coming lockdown and uh, during the actual lockdown though you wrote two novels that took place respectively 40 and 30 years ago and now back to Karen Pass Line which was just published opens in April 2020 and there's so much to dive into, I don't know where to start, but let's begin with having to relive the early days of the pandemic and lockdown to write about them. And was that hard for you? It was hard, really. Um, I finished Still Life. I actually finished Still Life just as we were going into lockdown. Um, so there's some intimations of what's coming, but no sense of how serious it's going to be or, or how major it's going to be. So uh, at that point, we didn't know what was what was happening. We were all in the state of anxiety and, and fear, I think. It was pretty much the same for everybody. Uh, and I couldn't write set against the present because every day things changed. There was no solid ground to stand on. Uh, and all my books, one way or another, are set against the present. And I, I didn't know what to do. I, I, I had nowhere to stand. So I thought, I have to go back into the past. Uh, and so I thought about long and hard about this. And I thought that this was quite a useful way of using my experience of the world of words, if you like, sort of journalism and, and writing and reporting and non-fiction and reportage, um, to use that to, to write a series of novels set over the period between um, 1979 and 2019. And I could talk about how we've changed, how society's changed, how the media has changed, how the way we consume information has changed, and all of those kind of things without actually having to go to the bother of writing a memoir and, and think about my own life. So I could use my anecdotage without having to get too deeply into my own life, which seemed to me to be a boring thing to do, frankly. And so I, I had to put that to one side. And I hadn't planned to write another Karen Perry quite so soon, but uh, I was in New Zealand last year, this time of year, for four months. I'm the visiting professor at the University of Otago in Dunedin. Uh, I'm the professor of Scottish studies and crime fiction. And while I was there, I was planning to start researching 1999 to read the books that came out around about that time and just generally remind myself of what was going on in the world. Uh, and I had no sooner arrived in New Zealand than I had this idea for a Karen Piri. And it wouldn't leave me alone. It was there when I went to bed at night. It was there when I woke up in the morning. Um, and sometimes an idea just gets its teeth into you and you can't park it. You just have to deal with it. 
And so so I wrote Past Line, and it was quite, I think, quite useful to be on the other side of the world from Edinburgh, because I could remember very clearly what it had been like in lockdown without the present day busyness and, and everybody back to normal uh, that, that it was when I left to go to New Zealand. So I was able to sink back into, into that period and, and remember it. And remember all the, the fears and the anxieties, but, but also remember the, the things, some of the things that were curiously positive. Um, you know, I mean, being able to walk about the city empty and explore bits of it that I'd never seen before. Um, and also just the the the, the chance to to sit back and, and and communicate with my partner and and to read books and to not have to go out and do things um was quite pleasant. I won't I won't I won't deny it. I mean I I I understand that for me, very many people, for most people, it was not anything like that pleasant. You know, if you were at home in a small flat with children or with a partner you weren't getting along with. I mean, I have a friend who's a, a divorce lawyer and she said she's never been busier. Um, so I think for a lot of people it was a very negative experience, but I have to be honest and say that for me it, it wasn't. I, I've talked to uh, quite a few writers about this and about the pandemic and things like integrating the pandemic into their work. And I think the thing about writers is for them, pandemic and the restrictions and the what it did to them work-wise was curiously nil uh, because you're in a room by yourself, usually, maybe a dog or a cat, with a computer and, you know, then you go outside and you say, wow, this is really different. This is really odd and and uh, and disconcerting. And that's one of the reasons I asked you the question of everybody processes uh, things differently. And the pandemic was one of these rare universal experiences that the whole world encountered and had to process. And artistic people process things differently. So that's, I, I was just wondering if this was sort of your way to click it into your head. Yeah, I just, I just, I had this idea for the Karen Piri that, that was a story that really would work in lockdown better than at any other time. Um, and people said to me when I when I said what I was doing, they said, nobody wants to read about lockdown. We all lived through it. We don't want to read about it. But I've always taken the view that uh, I write the books I want to write. And if I'm passionate about it um, and I care about it and the story is shouting and clamouring to be told, it will be something that people will want to read. You know, it's, it sounds arrogant or overly confident, but as far as I'm concerned, if I'm not in love with the book, there's no point in writing it. When we discussed the Skeleton Road back in the Halcyon days of 2014, I asked you about the range of time and location, and that book went from Bosnia in the 90s to Oxford and Edinburgh in the 21st century. And you answered that a distinctive sense of place was important to your story's creation and forward movement. And now Karen is in lockdown, and she's living in a bubble at Hamish Mackenzie, her not-boyfriend, not-lover, not-partner's, flat with Detective Sergeant Daisy Mortimer, who we met in still life when she was seconded to the historic crime unit. Uh, the crime they are investigating, which is the disappearance of a university student, is recent by historic crime unit standards, mm -hmm. having happened the previous year. And the location range is Edinburgh and it's close environs. And I thought, is that what you meant when you said this, you could come up with a story that lockdown sort of suited? Yeah, it, it felt very much like a story that uh, normally, as you point out, a, a case that recent wouldn't fall into the remit 
of the Historic Cases Unit. And indeed, formally, this isn't part of their caseload, but the case kind of falls into their lap when somebody that Jason has been working with in the past at the National Library uh, finds a, 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 something that she came upon before lockdown started that's been preying on her mind. It's an unfinished manuscript by a recently deceased Scottish crime writer. And it's been been bothering her, and she calls Jason up and says, I don't know if there's anything to this, but here's what I think. This reads to me like a blueprint for that lassie that disappeared last year. And Jason, of course, raises this with Karen. And Karen sort of thinks, well, the very least we can do, if we, if we have a poke about at it, we can treat it like a training exercise, because Daisy's just joined the, the HCU full-time, and Karen thinks it's a good way to, to train Jason even further and to bond get Daisy to bond with part of the team. So she kind of goes into it, not quite convinced that this is going to take them anywhere, but they might as well be doing this as anything else. You know, I think you had uh, more than a bit of fun with this story because it's a, it's a crime fiction novel about crime fiction writers. Um, in his review in the Wall Street Journal, my, my, Longtime pal Tom Nolan pointed out that, like Anthony Horowitz in Magpie Murders, there's a novel within a novel that you mentioned. Oh, not quite a novel, but uh, an initial manuscript. Um, and it's a fallen from grace crime fiction novelist named Jake Stein. And he's died and his papers have gone to the National Library. And then the, the novel is called The Vanishing of Laurel Oliver. And the plot has uh, disturbing similarities to the disappearance of Laura Hardy. So uh, it just, like you said, you know, this could be a training exercise and everybody's bored. You know, lockdown was boring when it wasn't terrifying. Yeah. Um, I thought it was better trying to solve a crime than doing a jigsaw. In light of this incomplete manuscript, Karen, Daisy and Jason start investigating the the disappearance of Laura Hardy. And it this was almost, I want to call it a, not a locked room, but like a locked city uh, because it was challenging owing to the lockdown rules, which prevented, I think in Edinburgh, uh, you, citizens could go out for one hour a day outside for mm -hmm. exercise. Um, of course, Karen is police and she's allowed to, um, take cars she's she's allowed a little bit more latitude some of which she pushes in other directions because she's still involved with her pals at, at the aleppo cafe um and that's a, another sort of subplot that weaves in and out but everybody's easy to reach by phone and by zoom and i should mention that you and i are doing this interview by zoom previous interviews have been done by phone this is so much easier yeah, um, um, and, and and of course that that has its own limitations as well, but it's also it, it's very useful because everybody is where they're supposed to be. Exactly, and that so you can get hold of them quite readily. But the, our our trio um, in the historic crime unit sort of they they dig into the world of crime fiction writers, and then it gets I think really fun because you name check everybody. A who's who of Scottish crime writers, Denise Mina, Chris Brookmeyer, Anne Cleves, Doug Johnstone, Louise Welsh, Zoe Strahan. And, a, and although she isn't a crime writer, Janie Godley. So thank you for that, because <laughs> Janie is amazing. Um, well, Janie brought so much joy to all of us during lockdown. Oh, um, no kidding. Her, da her daily broadcasts. 
revoicing Nicola Sturgeon. It was great. So she deserved a, a tip of the hat. And we should mention, though, that none of these uh, writers are suspects in your book. But no, there's one, involved in crime. <laughs> one glaring omission. Uh, you did not name check Val McDermott. Well, that would have been a bit too meta, I think. So you were um, not like I, Anthony Horowitz, who, who no, um, no, I, 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 that's not that's I can't I can't quite envision doing putting myself into the book. Um, but uh, I, I, I've, I've had to keep going around telling everybody the characters in the book involved in the crime are absolutely not based on anybody. You know, when the book came out, all my colleagues are going, "That's so and so, isn't it? That's so and so." And I'm just like, "No, I made that bit up." You know, I'm a writer of fiction. The, the, the name checking is just to give the whole thing verisimilitude because it would be weird to write a novel set in the crime writing community of Scotland and not mention anybody by name. Yes, they are. They are fictional, although I did. I did go through that mental exercise of who could these possibly be. But in this, you peel back a, a layer or two of, of the crime writing world. And um, the two characters in the in the novel, The Disappearance of Lauren Oliver. Lauren Oliver, I'm so sorry. You wrote this one thing um, early in the book. Uh, it's best. Jamie, Jamie, Jamie Colvain is a bestseller, and the newbie, uh, not yet in the club, is Rob Thomas. And of him, you said he wanted to be part of Jamie Coben's charmed life. Being his friend was an entree into the easy camaraderie of publishing's big dogs, because the big dogs still ran the game. Readers believed that the books that garnered the golden reviews, the pole positions in the bookshops, were there by virtue of their quality, and Rob knew the truth. They were there because an editor has sold them at the marketing meeting. Sometimes that was because the book generally was the real deal, but just as often it was because the author had a great smile, connected well on social media, and knew how to walk the fine line between attractively surprising and grotesquely shocking interviews. So, wow. What did, well, your, what did your cohorts think of that? One or two people have thought I was perhaps lifting the lid a little too far, but hey, you know, you don't have to be a genius to work that stuff out. We all read across the spectrum, at least I, I presume, you know, if you read crime fiction, you read across the spectrum. And it's foolish to say that all, all books have the same standard of quality, because they don't. And sometimes the books that are, are pimped to the best, set top of the bestseller list, are really not very good. And that's that's not, um, you know, good for them, that's, that's fine. But it's, you know, for readers... I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm quite often disappointed by the book that is the book of the season. Um, so, you know, there's, there's there's things going on because this is a business. This is not this is not a charity to provide readers with the best possible reading material in the world. Karen being Karen, there's no place she won't go when she's investigating a crime. And that's, I think, something that comes across really well in the television show. Karen is. She's not necessarily who I pictured because in a previous interview you said that Karen is going to sort of perpetually be in her 30s somehow I, I didn't see the what what we call the the fanny pack in this no oh, that was that was a that was a bone of contention let's just say but it works I I was very strongly uh Karen's a backpack girl but I was I was overtaken by everybody else in production yeah, I think I think the character and the actor that's that's portraying her works really well. There's no place Karen won't go in this book uh, when when she's investigating, and since she's pretty much stuck at home, 
she reaches out to a crime fiction podcaster. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that this was maybe based on true crime, two crime writers and a microphone. No, uh, truly not. Truly, truly not. not. Okay. Truly not. No. I mean, it's, she- it's, there are several crime crime writing podcasts, and I've listened to most of them one time or another. And I, was, I thought I was quite careful not to make it uh, attributable to any particular crime podcast that exists in in reality. Well, it's not mine, so I can, <laughs> we can safely say that. I'm and not it's not to try and write off the microphone either. Okay. Um, if, if, if Luca if Luca has a a, a a a a character in the book that he's closest to, it's not that one. Are you going to tell us who it is? No. no, it's not really anybody. But I mean, it's there is somebody in the, in the in the book who has a passing resemblance to Luca, but it's not it's not the it's not the podcaster. Um, but anyway, she gets you know she she reaches out to this podcaster who immediately returns her email. Uh, because, you know, it's lockdown and there's nothing, you know, this is this is a diversion. But she wants to ask them the name of the writer that Jake Stein, the, the crime fiction, the fictional crime fiction writer that has passed away, who he played chess with. And she gets the name and then she asks the podcaster for the conversation to remain private, to which the podcaster replies, the public think when we get together, we talk about how to kill people and get rid of bodies. It's not like that. We're like a bunch of old grannies in the steamy. Nobody's rep is safe with us. We relish tales of disgrace and disaster. And that's before we get to the shagging. So once again, wow, it's like anything else. <laughs> what can I say? It's, it's you know, years, ago, years ago to festivals and conventions and conferences. Um, it's 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 a bit of a zoo out there sometimes. Not 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 that everybody's like that. Of course they're not. But for for some people, it's like it's like um, it's like pet, pets being let off the leash. Or or <laughs> I like to say bears with furniture. That true, true that. Without their wives or husbands. Without their without their partners. When I when you talk to uh, members of the crime writing community, it is a supportive and convivial. Yes group for the most part there are a few that are less so but not many no and you know in this uh rob in this fictional manuscript within your book rob thomas is trying to ingratiate himself and um and yet that's that's 180 degrees from a writer like you who has really gone out of her way to support and promote new writers especially at Harrogate you and I I'm assuming you're still doing that I'm not doing the new blood panel anymore I have retired from that job I figured after 20 years it was time to let somebody else's taste shape that panel but still you are someone who has supported and been enthusiastic and encouraging to the newbies in crime writing but there were people who were like that with me when I started out you know, Reginald Hill, Sarah Paretsky, Sue Grafton, they were all really supportive and lovely towards me when I was starting. Um, and so, you know, it's it's you you pay you pay back what you've already had, if you like. And and I, you know, I don't want to introduce any spoilers to the story necessarily, but let's say these fictional crime writers are not necessarily of that mean. They maybe are a little bit bitchier than Sarah Paretsky and 
Sue Graff. But then the podcaster blows Karen's mind. This is another thing I loved about it. She, he he knows who she is. And uh, because there is there is crossover with the true crime community. And he knows that she walks since the loss of her partner, Phil. Um, she walks at night. And so she's, you know, she's she says, I, I'm not sure I want to be known as the detective who, you know, walks by night. And it shouldn't bother her, but I thought it was very revealing. You said, but it does. It did. It did bother her both that she was known to this podcaster and that he thought of her as the detective who walks by night. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're crime writers. We're always happy to seize on anything unusual or strange. And Scotland is a small country. I mean, we always say Scotland is a village. You're, you're never going to get six degrees of separation in Scotland. Um, not unless you've just only just moved there, and so people people know the names of senior cops, especially if you're in the crime writing community. You you know, uh, you know what you know about certain cops and their reputations. And and Karen, because of her job as a cop, who's been in the headlines a few times, so you know somebody who's involved in the crime writing community would know someone like Karen, um, especially if they were you know in the sort of gossipy end of things doing the podcast. Um, so yes, it's it's not uh, it's not surprising that he knows who she is. But what is slightly surprising is that that uh, her, to, surprising to Karen is that this uh, facet of her personality is known outside her immediate circle. But you can see exactly how it would be. You're having a beer with a cop, and he says, "Oh, you know that Karen Pity? You know she's always in the headlines. She's a weirdo. She goes walking the streets at night." It's 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 the kind of um, gossipy information that that. Um, that wins you credit with your contacts and it sticks in it sticks it would stick in a you know I'm I'm thinking with my reporter's mind it, yeah. it's the sort of thing that would stick in my head yeah you know, oh yeah that's that's the one that's the one I'm gonna you know I'm gonna file that away because it might be useful someday yeah. as it was uh, not quite but I liked him and I'm hoping yeah. maybe he comes back it's entirely <laughs> possible you know just for just a brief interlude. Um, you know, Karen Karen loves her job. And, you know, she, her job is to find the resolution for victims of crimes done in the past, the far past and, and the recent past. Um, you know, she wants to find the solution. And that's her sort of her psychical reward for the difficult work she does. Because I, you, it, it, it's apparent that in your writing that Karen feels very deeply for the victims of the crime and their mm -hmm. families that you don't gloss over that that's that's a, an important raison d'etre for her yeah it's 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 why she does what she does i mean she really does believe very firmly that um it, the worst thing that can happen to people is not just to lose a loved one from their lives but to have no idea what happened and how it happened and in many cases where where they where their last resting place is and so she's determined to, uh, as my, my friend Sue Black, the, the forensic anthropologist, said, you know, she, she, she wants to bring the dead home. And that's really one of the great driving forces for Karen. Um, it's probably the, probably the single most important thing that, that drives her. But in this search for a, a solution, um, you know, and maybe I'm stretching it, but I saw parallels in past line to writing in general and crime fiction writing in particular, because the art of writing and storing 
storytelling can be magical. It, I said, can be magical. Um, and I had a writing instructor in college who said, you have this beautiful, pristine piece of paper, because it was paper in those days that you put into a typewriter. And then you go and mess it up with words. And now you have to clean up the your mess by finishing the story. So I, that's why I was wondering when you were writing this, is, is like writing crime fiction novel, sort of creating a mess and looking for a solution. Is that part of your the way you I guess. I mean I, I don't I don't really think of it in those terms. I mean I I, I always think of it in 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 terms of um I mean I, I, my starting point is usually somebody has done something terrible and we need to find out who and why. And usually along the way that will involve uh something complicated. I I, I honestly I don't have um I don't start with big ideas big concepts of of what i'm trying to do what i'm trying to do every time is tell a good story that grips people and makes them makes them care about the characters and also maybe makes them ask a few questions of themselves about their own lives and their own society um and just generally um stir things up a wee bit you know i don't i don't but i don't have a sort of notion of um creating chaos in order to return it to order because I think that that's a bit too simplistic um, the and I think I... the crime novel has become a, a lot more um, flexible in its resolutions than it used to be in back in, in, in the olden days where you know the culprit always had to be sort of handed over to the yard and, 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 and taken off to be uh, duly punished whereas now we have I think a much more flexible approach to how the story gets told and what the best kind of resolution is well, the reason I said that is because um, at one point, Karen is looking at all the threads of the investigation and she, and, she, and she talks about being at the point where she doesn't know where to go. And I thought that's so much like constructing a book where you've got, at least for me, these disparate parts and it's like, now what? Now, how do I bring these together? Well, that's I think where, this, that's where that came from. Yeah, and I think in this particular instance, when I was writing this particular book, the point where Karen goes, "I haven't got a clue what's going on," was the point where I also felt I didn't have a clue what was going on, um, and I almost kind of had to work that work my way through that in Karen's persona to get to where I needed to go, and then go back and fix it. But it, there, there was definitely a moment with this book where I was going, "I just haven't got a clue how how I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do." I, so I wasn't wrong. I wasn't wrong. Okay. No, oh, but I mean, it wasn't where I, I didn't set off to arrive at that point of confusion. Okay. If I could have avoided that point of confusion, I would have. Okay. Fair point. Nobody likes to know, know where they're going. There's no GPS yeah. for finishing a book. Not. <laughs> so Karen is at a point that we now can't really talk about because that would no. be wrong. But I always I like to ask you what you're on to next. Is it going to be 1999? Because that was a sort of a big year. That yeah, well, I'm doing. I'm doing. Uh, I'm, I've actually just completed uh, a novella for the Scottish publisher Berlin, who have a series called Darkland Tales, where they ask contemporary writers to revisit uh, a story from Scottish history and rework it. Uh, and so the first one was Denise Miner doing Rizzio. And then Jenny Fagan did Hex, and David Gregg's done Columbus Bones, and they they asked me to do uh, Lady Macbeth, 
So I have gone back to the historical Lady Macbeth and I spent much of the summer going down rabbit holes trying to understand how, th- how things worked in medieval Scotland. Um, found a very good podcast called Gone Medieval, which told you everything that you could possibly want to know about the Middle Ages. Uh, and so I, I, I took a month's writing retreat, uh, mid-October to mid-November, and wrote uh, the Lady Macbeth, uh, Blood Will Find Blood, it's called. And it's it's uh, it's the it's the true Lady Macbeth, the true Queen of Scotland, Macbeth's wife, uh, who was not a, a, a neurotic psychopath, and uh, who did not uh, and 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 Macbeth was not a tyrannical ruler of, uh, of, sort of steeped in blood, although there is blood obviously because uh, it was the Middle Ages and that was how you got power. But essentially, I, I went back to the original and. Um, Found out all I could about the Macbeths, and there's, 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 we know bits and pieces, but we don't know everything, and that's one of the things I like about right working with a historical subject is you get there are things that we know are facts, the things that we have, and then everything else you just colour in the gaps, and nobody can say, oh no, that didn't happen because we don't know. I can't wait to read it. I loved Rizzio and and Haxon. I didn't know about the others, but now I do. So. Yeah. And so after that, it will be 1999. Next year's big book will be 1999. Thank you again, Val, for talking to me and talking about Pass Line and all the things that you're working on. And um, thank you again for joining me on the podcast and uh, talking about this and giving me your time. Thanks for inviting me. It's been a pleasure, as always. Mm-hmm.